Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello there and welcome to the Irish Science Second Captain's Podcast. Oh, McDevitt here with Murph. Hi, Kieran. Hello there, Owen. And Ken Early is in the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. We'll cross over there shortly to find out what Ken made of the Conor McGregor show. It was a long and very day of sport yesterday. I'm going to, in this case, I'm going to count McGregor as the starting point of Sunday, as it was for me. Okay. As, as opposed to the end of Saturday night, as it may have been for some hardcore people listening. Mm. I think my day has passed, Murph. I think my day of staying up for fights that start at 5am could be passed yeah. I now I either go to bed at 10 o'clock get up at say 2 2 or 3 and I'm grin and bear from there or I just record it and watch it yeah no no. I, I think this, this staying up late option if you're talking about 5am which is what we were talking about on Saturday night Sunday morning. East Coast maybe some of the East Coast American sporting events could still happen but uh, from that uh, I had a little trip to Croke Park very difficult to describe the drop off in intensity from, from watching a UFC <laughs> fight involving Conor McGregor to oh, well, I'd, I'd Dublin like... labouring well not labouring victory mm. against Westmead but uh, certainly labouring a bit in the first half uh, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to thank uh, Dublin and Westmead actually um, because there was a log jam I think as it was for a lot of people in front of their TV screens yesterday. Uh, Novak Djokovic and Roger Federer mm. were in the middle of playing out some exceptionally good tennis. And Dublin and Westmead just said, listen, Gales of Ireland, go for it. We, we, you know, we, after about 10 minutes of that game, you, it was pretty clear what was going to happen. Westmead were going to, you know, grind along, uh, you know, try their best, play the game the only way they had an option to play the game. Yeah, maybe get to half-time in reasonable nick, as they did. Reasonable nick, uh, probably concede a few goals at some stage in the second <laughs> half and that would be that so it was kind of like a guilt free just go for it they'll show plenty of us on the Sunday game you'll get the basic gist yeah, of what you'll, you'll, you'll see at least one of Dermot Connolly's outside of the boot points yeah, just it's fine lads hop over to BBC One there and knock yourselves out you were bowled over by Wimbledon this year weren't you I was I don't know what happened this year but I just got mega into it again for the first time in about 20 years um, and it was brilliant I have to say, like the, like the, from the women's quarterfinals on, so that would have been Tuesday. I was watching uh, Serena Williams, Victoria Azarenka, which was absolutely brilliant. And then from then on, it was just it was epic stuff, really, really good. And uh, like even the women's final on Saturday, which shouldn't have been good. Uh, and again, if you're talking about narratives written in stone before a sporting event begins. 
that was it right there. Greatest, when you're, greatest player ever versus outsider. Yeah, uh, Gerbin uh, Muguruza. But uh, it was actually really, really interesting. Even the second set when Muguruza looked like she had just thrown in the towel. Uh, kind of a brilliant comeback there after. And it was just, there's, there's something about Wimbledon. And someone said it to me uh, last week, actually. And it's kind of weird how something that's completely pervasive in all sports that isn't there in Wimbledon, it kind of still need, needed to be pointed out to me. But the complete lack of any ads in centre court, the complete lack of any ads anywhere, actually, <laughs> in the enti- over the course of the entire sporting event, over two weeks. Yeah. It's actually really, really interesting. And you know what happens when the sport stops in Wimbledon? People stand up, have a chat, walk around, and there's no music blaring at an obscene decibel level to basically kill all, all atmosphere dead. So what you're hearing in Wimbledon is, an actu- is the actual reaction of a crowd that isn't being coerced into that reaction or isn't being drowned out by... Uh, ad- like, like, I go to Crow Park now, like, obviously a lot every summer. And it's brilliant. But at the same time, half time comes and I actually have to leave. I have to walk onto the concourse underneath the stands in Crow Park because I can't handle the level of noise being blasted at me either from ads or from, you know, sort of dubious halftime entertainment. And it, you and so when I'm watching Wimbledon and the game is finished and there's like 25 minutes between that and the next game starting, what you're actually hearing is a crowd noise. And it's you don't hear it anymore at yeah. any sporting event. It's bizarre, it's, but there it is. It's funny because that exact point was on my mind Last week, on my last day of my holidays in the US, I was in New York, went to a Yankees game, Yeah, Yankees against the Oakland days, and it was really exciting, you know, it's the, it's the new Yankee Stadium, it was built in about 2011 or so, uh, about a block or two away from the old Yankee Stadium, but they've tried to, it's all very fancy, very new, mm. it's not exactly an old atmospheric baseball ground in that way, although they've tried to sort of replicate some of the old facade of the, the previous Yankee Stadium, which I never got a chance to visit, uh, but you know, in and around, there's loads of great history around it, lovely old sports bars around the place as well and all, and all the rest of that you get there it's all great then the game starts and like, like that baseball used to be like tennis mm. it was the one American sport where you actually did have conversations even during games yeah. uh, as Ken might attest to it can be a little bit boring at times it can be slow but that's okay because you chat away and that's I, I mean not just music they have a player will pop up on the big screen going, hey guys, it's, you know, Mark Texera here. Why don't we play this trivia game? You know, who hit the most home runs in the 1939 yeah. season? And I'm there, I'm trying to just, just have a chat with the person I'm here yeah, at the game. Literally, but, but I'm, anyway, trying, right. I'm trying to experience a sporting event. That's yeah. all we, that's all I want to do. No, it is, yeah, it is a, a nice way of probably getting to the essence of the joy of Wimbledon. It's also about the celebrity spotting though on finals day, mm. isn't it? There were, I never a lot of celebs. There were. Uh, someone was, someone tweeted during the men's final that it was like being force-fed an edition of Hello Magazine, <laughs> which is actually what it was. People got really annoyed by this. The fact that every, like in every... What, that point, the most famous people get the best tickets for the biggest show in town? Well, that's not going on for, no, forever. No, no I, I, th- I think actually just more the, the fact that the TV director thought, felt that we'd be really interested in seeing all these people. I, I always am interested. Yeah, well, I kind of am as well, to be honest. I, mean, I, don't really, I didn't really have much of a problem Who did with we it. have this year? With Kate Winslet? She was picked out quite regularly. Yeah, John Hurt, uh, uh, Bradley Cooper, Alex Hugh Ferguson, Grant. Alex Ferguson, of course. Alex Ferguson, not, uh, sitting with the plebs uh, for the men's final. <laughs> was he, he was in the Royal Box a little earlier in the week, yeah, but uh, he got... got edged uh, out of there. Yeah, he got booted out. Um, yeah, who else? We mentioned Kate Winslet. Oh, there was a load. Like, uh, Absur- quite frankly, an absurd amount of... Uh, oh, Benedict Cumberbatch, of course. Oh, of course, yeah. 
Yeah, let's not forget Benedict Cumberbatch. Let's not forget David Beckham's catch of the ball in a, in a previous game. Beckham probably quite bored towards the end of a day's tennis. Just some crappy doubles game on. Yeah. He trying was, to edge away from his seat. He was literally seconds from that ball hitting him on the arse as he walked out. But, uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it was pretty cool. He did, he did manage to field it with uh, some degree of alacrity. I don't want to rain in your parade with negative thoughts here, Murph, but um, I've come to a conclusion over the last week or so. Two weeks. Go on. I don't like Novak Djokovic particularly. Uh, I don't can't think... fully warm to him. I, th- I thought I did. I thought I did like him for a couple of years. Something about... alone there. Well, it's ever since the... Uh, I don't know if you remember, the, was it a US Open semi-final he was playing against Federer about two or three years back? And Federer had got to match point, I think it may have been, which is a ridiculous winner. Uh, and Federer was playing amazing stuff. And Djokovic just stood there and applauded. He literally was, ah. I mean, he goes to the fans, looks at yeah. them. It was as though it was a... Uh, I heard you talking about uh, who's the old... The guy who plays a lot of exhibition matches these days. Old te- uh, oh, well, uh, it wasn't the Kant, actually. It was one of the... Ili Nastasi? It was Ili Nastasi, yeah. <laughs> he was doing... It was, it was as though it was one of these exhibition games where you have to do a bit of an Ili Nastasi. Yeah. Walker. I was, it was such gamesmanship. As though, how can I beat this guy when he yeah. knows in his own head, all right, I just need to get this one point and then I'm right back in. He ends up winning that match and there was faking the injury against Andy Murray last year. Yeah. Andy Murray was clearly annoyed about. Uh, no, he's not the only player to go in for gamesmanship. There was the stuff with Becker at the start of this year that Becker's coaching before games, that bit of controversy. Mm. Now, I know that was maybe overblown, but it was his own coach who brought it up in the first place. And I saw him in an interview after the first round. He's like, oh, I don't really want to talk about this. You know, it's like, well, you have to talk about it. Yeah, we're asking Like, you yeah, about we can it, ask so. you about it for yeah. the entire two weeks if you we want because yeah. your coach has just admitted that you're cheating. You know, yeah. even if it is cheating in the very sort of rarefied air of tennis cheating. Yeah. Uh, we're just you know, not quite going by the, by the rules. So there's a few things like that. And I think I'm, maybe I'm driven by the fact that uh, it's Federer that he's uh, that he's generally beating in yeah. these these big games and obviously I don't know if it's, it, it, there's a worldwide fascination with Federer I think particularly uh, almost every Irish tennis fan or casual yeah. sports fan seems to love Federer as well so it's, we it's all have like that maybe, a, so, so maybe I feel like I need to hate somebody because I like Murray as well as you and Mark were talking about last week I've always quite liked Murray so I need to hate one of them Yeah, and it's Djokovic I'm picking on yeah it's weird it's not like there's a pro and anti Roger Federer camp it's like well obviously you're <laughs> Federer You're up for yeah. Roger Federer, you know. And I always thought I was I, I could stay kind of aloof from that. And then he won the second set yesterday and I was literally roaring like an idiot. And I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. It's not like I've spent like 10 years watching Roger Federer, you know, exhaustively that I would be this big fan of him. <laughs> but I think it nearly becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy for Djokovic in that he's not the guy that people love. Federer is the guy that people love. Um and so he's the, he's the guy beating the guy that everyone loves. And he so, knows it. He yeah. even said it in some so of the quotes uh, over exactly. the week. Exactly. Yeah. So how, how do you become more loved? You, you know, it, it's kind of, he doesn't have an option other than to, you know, lose to Roger Federer. That way, that, that's the option available losing, to him. Losing heroically and maybe a, bit, a few of the Andy Murray tears. Yeah. Might do so it. he tries his best to be magnanimous. And then, say yesterday during the third set, I mean, it was so blatantly obvious that everyone in centre court wanted Roger Federer to win like it was blatantly obvious mm. and there's no real reason for that it's not like Roger Federer is British or anything mm. um, so Djokovic he couldn't help but start getting annoyed so when he starts getting annoyed people are like oh well this is why we hate Novak Djokovic isn't it I mean he, he's getting annoyed that all of us neutrals are supporting the other guy to <laughs> like 100% to 0% uh, so I mean and he's better than Roger Federer now uh, like you can't make an argument to say that Roger Federer is a better tennis player than Novak Djokovic. You couldn't make that argument for the last three years, probably. Well, maybe he needs to go full. If he can go full uh, pantomime villain, that's maybe maybe he's caught between two stools there. Yeah. I think you've hit on he, something. He's, he's trying. To, he's trying to be nice. Yeah, don't be nice. Just yeah. be evil. 
And like the situation, he's he's trying to be nice in a situation where you can't be nice because people are being, you know, they're, it's, they're, it's they're like they're somebody pu- nice. punching your granny and apologizing to you at the same time. It's yeah. just not. It's not going to work. You're not going to like that person. Uh, and we don't advocate granny punching, obviously, on this show. No, Roger yeah. Federer is our granny for the purposes of this anecdote. <laughs> this this, <laughs> this clunky, analogy. Yeah, analogy that I'm trying to work up here. Okay, we're going to talk about Tips Munster final uh, win with Owen Kelly a little bit later, but some big results in the football. I'm still in shock that the Rossies are gone after heady talk of future All-Ireland success earlier in the year. Knocked out brutally by Fermanagh. The granny punchers up there in Fermanagh. <laughs> uh, Radio Ulster commentator Jer Tracy called this one at Brewster Park. Tomás Corrigan's on the ground. So too is Niall Daly. Niall Daly's on the ground. So too is the referee over there. It's all it's over. over. It's this over. is just sensational. It's Absolutely sensational. I have never seen scenes like this in Brewster Park in my life. And I'm coming here since I was a young man. Ah, Jer, come on. The Ro- we all love the Rossies. Well, nothing for Matt. Well, I mean, it, you don't have to love the Rossies. I mean, no. it's optional. Uh, I, I don't think it's kind of like a Roger Federer. Well, obviously, everyone loves the Rossies. <laughs> I, I don't think it's quite that. You think it's more of a cult following? People in yeah. Roscommon and people on this show for some reason. Yeah, that, I think that might be. That, I think that might be about it. Uh, the, the only fear I have about all this is that. See, I love Heady's talk of all Ireland success from mm. up to now weaker counties. Yeah, no one's going to pull that. No one's going to pull that stunt for, for another couple of months. twenty years. Yeah. I would say. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's it's. Was it were there championship songs? Did I hear that? There was there was a song released by the uh, by a group in not by the Roscommon team. They didn't do a live aid on it. Like, <laughs> you know, Dodie shied with the headphones on. We didn't see that, um, but uh, there was a song released in May about how the Rossies are. I think it might have been called "The Rossies Are Back." Mm-hmm. I mean, I I'm over the correction on that one, but either way, I think they. That one's right on the shelf beside the Kerry five in a row t-shirts. We'll talk hurling later. Let's get over to Vegas right now. Oh, there's blackjack and poker and the roulette wheel. A fortune won and lost on every deal. All you need is strong heart and a new steel. Viva Thanks a lot, Pepe. Go ahead, Pepe. Go ask what Viva. Yes, sir. And their new world federate of the championship. And Ernie's still hanging out at the MGM Grand, much to his delight, I'm sure. How was Saturday night? Oh, my God. Um, oh, Saturday night. It was unbelievable. It really was incredible. I mean, I don't know how much of it you actually watched. I don't know how much of it you saw. It was like a marathon event of um, fighting all the way through the... Um, I mean, it starts around four, finished up after ten. Um, Eleven fights. And... You know, it's the first time I'd seen this type of thing um, up close, um, you know, in the flesh, as it were. Um, so it's, it got going, and the first few fights were actually extremely boring. Um, each one of them was a kind of a, a bore, a slow, sort of a grappling type of a fight, not really too much in the way of exciting exchanges. Uh, a lot of um, lads sort of pressing themselves against each other up against the fence, and uh, decided by the judges. So pretty, pretty tall as ditch water stuff, to be honest. Um, and some of the guys sitting around me were like, you know, I just hope we get a, this, uh, I just hope we get a finish at some point tonight, you know, well, what happened then was just, was, 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 was incredible because as soon as it went to the, the sort of the main cards, there was five fights on the main card. So I think this was the kind of pay-per-view event. 
Um, I mean, everything is obviously being televised, but I think the main pay-per-view broadcast included these five fights. Every one of them was an absolute stunner, a, a belter. Was it? Was it only four? It started with the was it the Gunnar Nelson fight or the, um, the Thomas Almeida fight? I can't remember the exact order of these fights, but it, the whole thing the, the whole thing changed. I mean, I've honestly owned, it was it was brutal. It was astonishing, and it was strangely exhilarating. Um, I thought, well, I was about to get to the end there, actually, because I, I found McGregor's reaction quite striking. It was about the most, uh, maybe we should be starting at the start or in the fight, but it was the thing that I took away from it, having looked back at it the, the following morning, was how emotional he was, how he's normally so in control of what he's doing. Or, and certainly there's, there's a sense that it's, all, there's all, it's obviously all this big show. But he seemed, it was a very unguarded moment. Uh, maybe it was because in the back of his mind somewhere he might have count, countenanced defeat for the first time. I don't know what it was. He just seemed slightly more human than usual at the end of a fight. Absolutely. And I thought it was great, actually. To, I thought it was great to see that because um, I remember him at the end of his last fight. He was particularly charmless. And was it Jose Aldo he was talking about? He was just, he was just kind of... He, he, he hopped was kind out of, of the octagon, uh, octagon to... Uh, assault Jose Aldo, isn't that it? Yeah, I mean, there was that, like, you know, that I suppose you could maybe say was a bit of showmanship, but he came back up into the thing, he was doing an interview and he, and he just he just seemed to be, he was aggressive and he was kind of uh, boorish and it was just, you know, he was talking about, um, he, he didn't really have any good lines, but he, he just swore a couple of times and generally was kind of, it wasn't, it, it just wasn't great. And I think part of that was, you know, he'd just been through a really easy fight in that case. He knocked the guy out like it was the guy he shouldn't have even been fighting against. It was almost embarrassing to be to be part of that. Um, so it was a charmless enough spectacle. This time, he'd been through a really serious fight, had been seriously tested, had been had looked to me like he was going to lose, had suffered a lot, had, was bleeding in the ring for the first time. No, you know, he'd been bleeding in any of his previous fights in the in UFC. Um, had really been struggling, but had come out on top and had knocked this guy out again and knocked him out in the second round. It was this really stunning victory. You know, the whole place... Uh, you know, out here thousands of miles away from Ireland is full of Irish people. They're all going mad. His family are all there. His coach is there. You know, he's probably, he's certainly been thinking at some stage as he's lying on his back with Chad Mendes on top of him, smashing his forearm down into his face. Oh, I'm going to lose here. You know, this is this is going to be really bad. This is going to be a real, this is going to be mass, massive humiliation before the world. But he managed to turn it around. And so, now, I think that probably, you know, that took something out of him. He probably was looking into the abyss there a little bit. And when he came back out of that, he was, you know, I realized that he'd won. I suppose it was, he was, he'd been under a lot of strain, I think, for for months. I mean, he was talking about it later. You know, he said, look, I've been under the, the amount of work I've had to do, the the amount of promoting, you know, we've traveled around the world twice to promote this fight, the media commitments on top of all the stuff that he actually has to do, like, um, you know, actually staying in shape, <laughs> you know, his, his kind of job, his real job, as opposed to his publicity job, which is now, just as big as his real job, that that all had to taken a huge toll on him. And he thought, and he was saying, you know, you kind of get to the point where you're thinking, no way, you know, I'm not doing this again. I'm not doing this next time. Uh, and then I get handed the check and I think, well, all right then. <laughs> so, um, you know, he kind of, there was a glimpse from there. But what, what you saw in the in the ring, he was being respectful towards Mendez as well. That was great because it's never good when you're disrespectful towards an opponent you've just beaten. There's a word for that, a specific word for it, which is hubris. It's like to, uh, you know, when Hector drags the body of Paris around the wall, around the walls of Troy, he drags around the body of Paris who he's killed in the dust around the walls of Troy in order to enrage all the people inside. And at that moment, his fate is sealed. It's like to degrade 
uh, to degrade a defeated opponent is like the, the very definition of hubris. And, you know, in, in, in the idea, the ideas of the Greeks was that that is always punished as though by a natural law. Maybe we don't necessarily believe in it anymore, but we still are instinctively uh, reluctant to it. We, we still don't like it when we see it. Uh, and it's always good. It's always better for that reason, I think, when you see two guys who have just beaten the crap out of each other then to actually demonstrate respect. It's amazing the way it, it seems to almost automatically happen. Has it I mean, worked? It's, yeah. it's, it's almost like beating each other up. It's like a kind of like a way that men fall in love with each other. It's like a kind of courtship ritual. Are there ways, uh, do you think, that it actually worked out kind of okay, and maybe even quite well, that Jose Aldo pulled out of this fight, that McGregor got to talk a bit more smack about him as he did even after the game, uh, after the game, after the fight, ends up fighting a guy who everyone built this up in the in advance, would test him in different ways, would get him on the floor, would wrestle him, would grapple him, and he did that, came through that, also took quite a few punches, uh, more uh, stiffer punches than we've seen him take so far. He wins that, and ultimately, I'm sure the Aldo thing will probably happen for him anyway. Yeah, it will happen. I mean, uh, you know, provided Aldo does it. I mean, that's obviously the, the logical next fight. I mean, there's a lot of contempt for Aldo going on from from Dana White from from McGregor himself very said I'm not even going to think about that guy anymore I had much he was he was talking about these injuries he had he wouldn't give any details but he was saying I had much worse things wrong with me than a bruised rib um and uh, I still turned up and he didn't show up um and you know he was saying he thought it was a disgrace Dana White was saying it's a disgrace but Aldo's really the only the only serious guy left in the division he is also the, the real champion I know they gave McGregor a belt last night but that doesn't mean he's a champion it just means they're sort of pretending he's a champion now I suppose Jose Aldo has to come and fight McGregor now and according to them they're saying you know this is going to be the biggest fight in UFC, UFC history I think you know with Dana White is definitely the kind of guy where ever, the biggest fight in UFC history is always the next fight they're about to put on you know what I mean that's kind of it's often the way I think he um he he sort of operates, you know, but it is going to be a huge event. I mean, he is he is a big kind of he's a, a big deal over here, and the reason for that has a lot to do, I think, on with something else that happened in the fight. I mean, yeah. in in this, uh, you know, he started off that fight and he came, he he immediately came out and and took the initiative. So Mendez was kind of you know on the defensive from the outset, and McGregor then started to throw these kind of showy, flashy, uh, spinning kicks and so on which looked like tactically a complete disaster. It's exactly what Mendes wanted to do. I mean, he came out and, you know, swing his kick. Mendes just grabbed him by the ankle, put him on his back immediately, and he thought, well, that, you know, he looks stupid now. But what does he do once he gets up? Goes back immediately on the same thing, on the attack, on the, on the offensive, uh, doing more of these kind of kicks. And, that, and that's kind of he's, what he was doing, was remaining true to his image of himself and the image that the fans want to see of him. He's a guy who says, I'm going in there and I'm going to take risks and I'm going to take the fight to my opponent and I'm going to defeat him. I'm going to actually, I'm not going to, because, you know, I'm up against a dangerous guy and I've got to, at all costs, make sure he doesn't take me to the ground because that's his strength. Therefore, I'm going to change my approach, fight a more cagey fight. He didn't do that. He came out and he kind of tried to do what he usually does, which is take the fight to the opponent. It's a kind of a, the, the word for that is, is courage and wherever you see it in, sport, it's always going to be an impressive thing to see. You might not like the particular milieu in which Conor McGregor is, is, is doing this, you know, a blood-spattered arena. You know, <laughs> you can still see the marks of dried blood. I mean, they're, they're scrubbing it up after every round. The previous fights, I've never seen so much blood. Burst, noses, blood running like from a tap, from a tap, from a guy's head onto the ground. I mean, ridiculous, insane. Uh, the guys come out and swab it all clean. But you can still sort of see it on the ground. You know, maybe some some people look at that and think, "Well, this is terrible." You know, I wouldn't like this. But you know, within on on its own merits, on on the terms in which Conor McGregor is competing, 
he is a serious competitor. You know, he's he he's going out there, he's taking risks, and he's and he's delivering. Yeah, which leads me to something that you talked about in the podcast last week and you wrote about in the Irish Times at the weekend. And that's this idea and the big thing going on in the UFC at the moment uh, that the fighters essentially are underpaid for what they do. I mean, these guys aren't making a fortune at all, most of them. Uh, and the UFC is They're making quite almost a bit of, as much as the... Or no, uh, even more than the average American one. Uh, your point that you, they've made a couple of times, Ken, is that maybe Conor McGregor, this could be what makes him uh, even more transcendent than he is now if he wants to fight on behalf, ultimately fight the, the, the bosses on behalf of his comrades, his colleagues. Now, he certainly doesn't see it like that at the moment. And I can kind of understand why even more now after the weekend, after seeing how, I mean, how grotesquely injured the two boys before him were, for example, uh, Lawler and McDonald. And those guys went to absolute war, went to the, into the fifth and final round before it finally ended. I'd, I'd say quite a portion of the blood came from that fight alone. I, I can see why McGregor actually would think to himself, look, I'm in this game. It's tough. It's dangerous. I've got enough to be worrying about looking after myself, promoting myself and trying to make as much money as I can for myself. Uh, and I think I'll just do that for the time being rather than worrying about trying to take too much on board and, and, and fight on behalf of every man here. Am I my brother's keeper, Owen? Uh, no, I mean, I, I guess not if you, if you want to look at it that way. I mean, it's always difficult to do the right thing. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's usually how you know what the right thing is. It's often the harder thing to do. Um, you know, maybe he's, maybe he's not interested in that. And, you know, there's, there's no rule that says he has to. Um, I think that it would it would uh, be it would be good for the sport and would ultimately be good for him. But of course, there's no there's no obligation. And we are here in Las Vegas. I mean, if McGregor was to do that, I, I don't think anyone would even understand. They'd just be looking at him in the comprehension. What you you what? <laughs> we don't, what you're trying to help out your your brother? What? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. He's and he's also quite early on in his career. Realistically, he's only had a few fights at the very top level. I mean, he's yeah. absolutely delivered. And particularly in this one, I think he's probably impressed people more than any other in terms of being put to the pin of his collar. Yeah. But he still, you know, he still, you would think, is in the early stages of his career. So I don't know. Maybe that other side of it comes out at some stage. But the, I don't think there's any, any particular onus on him necessarily to do Oh no, there there isn't really. But you know, I, you you mentioned the the Roy McDonald, Robbie Lawler, and I was writing about this for the piece for the Irish Times, which was on Monday. Basically, McDonald's pay for the fight was fifty nine thousand dollars, right? right? Um, now, if he'd won, he would have got another fifty nine thousand. As it was, he because it was the fight of the night. It was determined by the judges to be the fight of the night. He got a fifty fifty thousand dollar bonus, so one hundred nine thousand dollars. Now he walked out of that arena on a broken foot with a broken nose, two eyes completely swollen shut that he couldn't see out of. Uh, he walked past Neymar, who was there, in his, his little black diamante hat. Neymar makes more than $59,000 every day, every single day. You know, he doesn't even... All Neymar has to do to make $59,000 is, like, soap down to the Barcelona training ground, knock a couple of balls around, and then, you know, head off and have lunch. That's his. That's how he gets fifty nine grand. Whereas Rory McDonald had his entire face smashed to pieces, and it's, you know he's broke, broken bones, broken face, and then he's got Dana White afterwards in the thing saying, "Oh, that was what an amazing fight! You know, you should have seen, yeah, you should have seen Lawler. I mean, his lip was like Lawler's lip was ripped in half. He's like he would he would talk. This part of his lip would move, and that part wouldn't move. You know, he got an elbow in the face from McDonald. This is what this is what had happened to him. Uh, and he, and then you know, what's his name? Had, had broken his nose. What's his name? What's his name? This is from is the, the Dana White said that. 
Dana White said, what's oh. his name? If you listen, look at the press conference audio, you'll hear it in there. What's his name? Uh, had a broken nose. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> at least know my name, Dana. Come on. You're not paying me is, as much as I should be getting. Know, what, but... Who the devil are you, says Dana White, to, <laughs> you know, to, 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 smash your, to, to smash your shattered poor old Roy McDonald. So what I'm saying is this guy is really suffering for the money that he's earning. You know, and, and while some people are kind of repelled by, by the violence – um, by the the the, the bloodlust, um, the you know the unsettling aspects of, of the spectacle. Um, equally, though, I think there are people who are who are put off. Yeah, we know one. We hear we hear from them all the time. Uh, put off football by guys like Neymar. Neymar is brilliant, but he you know physical contact. You know, okay, unless he's like headbutting someone in the Copa America or whatever, maybe he watches too much UFC. Maybe, maybe Neymar is influenced sublimely by this stuff that he keeps watching on TV. But, you know, when he, he's not a big man for, for enduring physical contact, let's say. A lot of people would look at Neymar and say, this is an example of why, of where, of why the game's gone. This is, why I watch, this is why I never watch football anymore. I only watch UFC events because those guys are out there and they're willing to suffer. And, you know, uh, and they're doing so for not a lot of money. You know, maybe football is uh, football has kind of refined itself away from that aggression and that suffering. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't people who actually want to see that. And now that they can't see it in football anymore, we'll, we'll look for it in other places. It was the full Conor McGregor experience, including probably more mouthing during the fight than we might have seen from him before. Which, again, yeah. uh, to talk about opposite personalities, Mendes seemed to be the nicest, most humble guy in the world. And then he's in there against McGregor. Was there any indication of what actually was being said between the two men? Just the usual nonsense? Yeah. Well, Mendes talked about it at first uh, in the press conference, saying, "Well, so basically, he, uh, you know, he just kept talking shit the whole time. I mean, I was hitting him as hard as I could, and he just kept running his mouth. So, uh, you know, I hit him with a big elbow, and he's like, is that all you got? You know, it's very, very much, you know, that all you got, George? That sort of stuff.' Uh, McGregor uh, gave a bit more detail. Uh, he talked about how he wanted to come face to face with Mendes all week, and it hadn't really happened up till then. Um. It had happened at the weigh-in, actually, but I mean, McGregor looked like a really lunatic at the weigh-in. And he honestly looked like starving, like a, you know, like a like a starving madman who who'd just been released from a dungeon. You know what I mean? Um, he didn't look he didn't look good at all. And that was what Mendes was saying all along. He's saying, "Oh, you're cutting too much weight, man. You know, you scrawny dude. Uh, you know, I'm going to kill this dude." Uh, this is the way Mendes. This is Mendes' whole thing. This guy is weak. Uh, whereas McGregor's like, "You're a midget," and so on and so forth. But he was saying. Like, oh, I just wanted to look into his eyes and see who's going to take the first step back. And this, so this is what he says at the start of the fight. You know, they the, have the touch gloves and that. And you can see McGregor talking to him then. And what he says, what he's saying there is, oh, you know, I said to him, we'll see now, Chad. We'll see who takes the first step back. And that's what he did. And then, you know, so he's going on and he hit me and I was saying, uh-uh. And then he hits me again. I said, no, no, you haven't heard me. You're up against a different animal now, Chad. All this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Just this kind of... The usual sort of fighter talk, I suppose. But the impressive thing about it was that McGregor kept doing that, even when he was lying on his back getting pummeled and bleeding and looking honestly ridiculous as he was doing. You're kind of like, you have, you actually have no right to be doing what you're doing now because you are getting absolutely pummeled here. But that in itself, I think, maybe is what made it work. The fact is, the, the kind of lunatic edge that he could keep doing it even when he was clearly losing, maybe at some point begins to get into Chad Mendes's head a bit. I mean, Mendes explained the fight in basically in terms of he made a big mistake. And the mistake that he made was he had McGregor pretty much right where he wanted him. He had him pinned down. 
he said, I, had, I was controlling him. I didn't feel there was anything he could do at that point. And he was kind of trying to work his way up to create a little, to create the leverage to every so often bring his uh, forearm down into the McGregor's face. And you, you're look, watching this and you thought, I don't see how this, I don't see where the pattern is going to change here. This is like, uh, Mendes just has to keep doing this and he's inevitably going to win. But what Mendes did was he tried to finish the fight. And maybe this was because Mendes was getting tired. Mendes had only been training for two weeks. Maybe he wasn't as fit as he needed to be. And he thought to himself, I've got this guy. I'm going to go and I'm going to try and get a choke on him now. I'm going to try and finish this fight now, make force him to submit. He said afterwards, that was my mistake. When he did that, it was the, the transfer of, of uh, grip effectively that enabled McGregor to, to wriggle free and regain his feet. He said, you know, I, sh- I probably should have just kept holding him down and throwing elbows. Uh, but he couldn't really, um, you know, that was pretty much what he was saying afterwards. He said, well, it's kind of a pity. Unfortunately, you only get to make the mistake the first time around. How did the atmosphere compare to other big sporting events you've been at? Say the Irish fans at that, because it looked absolutely insane on TV compared to, say, the thousands who go over to the European Championships in Poland or wherever else it might be. How did this crowd compare in terms of how they, how they made their noise? Yeah, uh, I mean... Uh, similar to an Irish football uh, crowd in terms of the limited range of songs, uh, you, you hear there's only one Conor McGregor, uh, you hear Ole Ole Ole. Uh, was there a Fields of Athens Rye? I, I, I can't even, I'm not sure there was actually. Uh, maybe, they, maybe they didn't sing that. I, mean, I can't remember, maybe there was, I can't, I'm not sure. Uh, and there was, a, there was a couple of well, where, is, uh, where is Jose Aldo type chants, you know? Mm. Uh, but there but there's were, no there difference because I, I remember uh, that the press conference that uh, went on in Dublin, uh, which was really embarrassing, to be honest. You know, he's yeah. Uh, it's it's everybody, an open mic everybody session. Everybody says that, Owen. Everybody. It's not just you know. I think you talk you talk to journalists, you talk to people involved in MMA. I think everybody kind of you so, talk to even most of the fans. Okay, so being so being over Vegas is, isn't like being at, with the fans. Isn't like being at one extended version of that. That well, it's funny. I mean, it's me it's, it's a hard it's a hard one really to, to define because I mean, obviously, you're talking about a big group of people. You have to be you have to be wary of of sweeping generalizations. Yeah. Um, but it is different from a football crowd, definitely. I mean, there's two football crowds. One is the crowd that you, I'm talking about, a traveling football crowd, Ireland, right? You get one that's going to like a regular away game, which is not that big a crowd. It's a, it's a lot of regulars, in fact, at those games, and uh, you know, it's it's a fairly it's a fair, I wouldn't say beaten down exactly, but like, it's a, it, you know, these guys are used to going on these trips and it's a, it's a kind of, it's not like a swaggering or aggressive crowd in any way. Then you get the crowd, which is like, uh, say, going to Poznan or something like that. You know, one of those mega type of crowds that goes to a really big event. Suddenly everyone's interested and wants to go over to this thing, which, which is like a very, I would say, general kind of cross section of Irish society. You know what I mean? A really kind of, you kind of will find all sorts in that crowd. It's a difficult one to sort of define. This was a little bit different. Uh, This was mainly uh, young guys, a lot of muscly young men of Ireland, uh, with waxed chests, tattoos, tank tops, overinflated steroid looking physiques, uh, over grooms in my opinion, although people might say that my own standards are are not not the norm. And uh, (laughs) 
you know, <laughs> walking around in big groups, all, taking every opportunity, it seemed to me, to take off their shirts and wipe the shirts above their head. There was a lot of that in the casino. I should have seen the police then try to, <laughs> try, to <laughs> try to stop the Irish fans. You know, people were just doing the usual kind of stuff uh, after the fight, trying uh, to, you know, shoes off for the boys in green, you know, in tribute to John Delaney, waving their shoes above their heads, waving shirts off for the boys in green, you know, all this kind of stuff. Mm. Uh, but just jamming the whole casino floor and creating chaos so that the police who never see this kind of thing, it just it just doesn't really happen here. We're kind of worried, like, oh, you know, what's going to happen here? Sort of started getting a bit, a bit heavy-handed about it. I mean, it's not like they beat or shot anyone as far as I could see, but they, they certainly weren't prepared to let it go on for very, you know, for long. Um, there were a few people actually who came up to me and said, <laughs> sort of poignantly, I hope, I hope you can see that, like, we're not all, you know, like the, you know, like the, like that press conference. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, absolutely. Uh, you get, you get a, a range of individuals, I suppose, in every group. But definitely, yeah, you do, you do get a, you do get a higher percentage of, of uh, muscly steroid uh, tank top uh, type guys in um, this, uh, in this particular crowd. What sort of reaction did you get to the piece you wrote the weekend? Because I, I ask that because every time you write uh, or talk about UFC, it's very polarizing. You said yourself in it that McGregor himself is the most polarizing Irish sporting figure since Roy Keane. Uh, is it is it difficult to to write? Not even that you were writing negatively, but to question any part of the the uh, mythology around this uh, undoubtedly very very top sportsman. Yeah, I mean, not not really actually, because the reaction generally to that piece was was quite good. So I was very very happy with that. But um, you know, I mean, you get there was one guy I kept seeing uh, around here who just kept shouting at me, "Brutal piece!" I kept uh, "Brutal article." Uh, I, ca- I kept hearing this and turned around and seeing this guy kind of grinning at me. I wasn't even sure if he was serious, but he didn't seem to like it anyway. Uh, I saw there was a few people kind of tweeting saying, "Oh, you know, why are you even there?" You know why? Did, why are you even there? And and this is you know you, you obviously don't like it. Why why did they bother sending you? What, who took the decision to send you? Uh, the you know the worst person in Ireland to send. And <laughs> and and a lot of this actually was based on the fact that in one of their embedded videos, they're wildly popular. I was amazed how many people watch this stuff. You know what I mean? It's huge, the huge audience. Uh, but one of their embedded videos was the was the one with the op- the day of the open workouts and I was standing by the stage looking at Chad Mendes so literally because the camera is looking at Chad Mendes you can see me standing there at the stage kind of staring at him with a gormless expression and uh, I didn't want to use the word gormless no gormless just nails it all I'm sorry I'm sorry if another word popped into my head I'd use it but I'm just I I didn't realize I'm on camera I'm just I'm just kind of staring at Chad Mendes trying to work out what I what I think about him and uh he and he's there, you know. I'm, I'm, I appear there for like a second or two, so then lots of people on Twitter are like, "Oh, look at this! You know, you're in this video." But then quite a lot of people were saying, "Oh, yeah, you look really delighted to be there, don't you?" Like, so essentially, my face was not showing enough enthusiasm at this moment. I might, the expression on my face was not sufficiently enthusiastic. They thought that they they felt let down, personally insulted by the lack of enthusiasm I was demonstrating at that moment. So. I suppose I do. I have to apologise to those people. I have to apologise that I that I wasn't projecting more more energy, more uh, you know, giving more of a sense of fun, giving more of a wide eyed sense of wow, this is the most amazing experience of my life. I am I am sorry if there were if there were people who were offended because my expression didn't communicate enough of that sense. All right, well, we'll get back to you again before the end of the program, but for the time being, thanks very much. Thank you too, Owen. 
I say I'm a million percent. That is better than a hundred percent. Ken's going to be back home for our big live show on Thursday night. A reminder, that one is the return of the Irish Times Second Captain Sports Night with Rabo Direct. We're going to be releasing that as a podcast for you after it's uh, done and dusted. He Ken made the point there that McGregor is good business, as we know, for any Irish website that wants a few clicks. And I don't want to, I don't want to say here that sections of the Irish media are going slightly overboard on the McGregor hype, but I did stumble across this piece on fm104.ie. How to live the Conor McGregor life. Connor's unique approach to life has taught us some valuable life lessons. We are going to take a leaf out of his book, and here are our top tips to live the Conor McGregor Go way on. of life. All right. I'm interested, yeah. Number one, conviction. Conviction in your actions is key to being on top. McGregor lives like this. He believes all his hype, mainly because he creates it. Statements like, I am king, might sound arrogant to some, but, <laughs> but if you live like this... <laughs> to some. To some, yeah. But if you live like this, believed it, behaved like it, you would be on top too. So put some passion behind your goals and commit to thinking positively. Okay. That's the you, 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 are, you feel like a king, Murph, so that's, you've already king. got the conviction there, yeah. Work I hard. Own. I am king. Work hard. That was conviction. That was a lot of conviction. You, you work hard, and there's a lot, a lot here about unseen work. You yeah, love the unseen yeah. work, so you've got it's, that one. It's just the, the, the one thing I would say about living the Conor McGregor life. You can't really do un, unseen to yourself work. I mean, that somebody's got to see the work. So, well, John Cavan is seeing his work at least, so it yeah. can't be fully unseen. And also, I mean, these are personal. It's 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 a personal advice. Mm. So you can't do unseen work to yourself. Well, of course, yeah. You're going to have to. Unfortunately, the unseen work. It's unseen to everyone except yourself. You will have to be present while this unseen work is going on. So if you want to live like Conor McGregor, you've got to have conviction. You've got to work hard. You've got to learn. That's mm. a fairly straightforward one. Learn from your mistakes. Accept that you're going to make them and, and mm. come back stronger. I think I've seen a fortune cookie that is just sort of this, <laughs> this article sort of boiled down slightly. Have a plan. But either way. Okay. I don't want to go into that too much because I want to get on to number five. This is the key to being yep. Conor McGregor. Be notorious. Right. Connor is notorious. It is his tagline and mantra. Let people know you're in the game and going to be there till the bitter end. This is the death of the English language here, by the way. None of this makes any sense. Hype and planting a perception of yourself in the minds of others is key. Mm. Reputation. Hype is key. Reputation, self-brand, identity. However you see it, it is about perception. Use this to build your notoriety, love or hatred. Being out there in the game will get you the attention to draw the right people to your cause. Be it fighting like Connor or developing your career or finding love, Murph. Mm. This isn't just about sporting okay, success. Right, this is about okay. real life. Yeah. Real life shit, Murph. <laughs> Connor built his own reputation, crafted his narrative and created a brand. Yeah. So that's it, Murph. I'm going to, oh, uh, out of five, how many have you got? You've got conviction. You work hard. You learn. You have a plan. I don't learn. I don't learn. That's the thing. You don't do, learn. Yeah. You don't really have a plan. I definitely don't And you're work rarely there. notorious. So you're only two out of five on the being. No, I have, I have conviction and I am notorious. Yeah, so two so, out of five. I mean, oh, I'm, you are notorious. Okay. Yeah, I bookend. The, the, the five here. Murphy, we have to lift the tone. Let's do this quick. That's right, you're a real Irishman. You get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there? You got the potatoes and the puccine. Huh? And the puccine. Oh, yeah, there you are. Born and bred, yeah, in uh, County Meath, a place called Navin. So, uh, it's uh, P-Bazzle time on. But uh, before we begin, I, I do need to have a word with you. Uh, you know, you love your Pierce Frost and Every Good Shout Out t-shirt. I know that. You wear two or three days a week, every week. But we we just need to be careful, okay? Because um, we've had a number of sightings of the great man himself around Dublin in the last couple of weeks. John Sugru saw him in uh, 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 Grand Canal Dock. Finaldo spotted him in UCD. Mark Kerwin spotted him in the pub. 
and Fergal Fitzpatrick met him on Dorky Island. Right? Oh, this is all now in the last couple of weeks. What? So this whole dubiously copyrighted enterprise could come falling down around our ears with just one chance meeting between you wearing a Pierce Brosnan t-shirt and the man whose visage is splashed across your front part. So vigilance must be your watchword. I don't know how long he's in town, but just... Yeah. Okay. It would be embarrassing. It would be extremely embarrassing and also potentially quite costly. So let's just let's just keep our eyes on the prize here. Anyway, on to uh, Stephen Kennedy, who has emailed us in. Dear own Ken and Murph, uh, I write this from the port deck of a Lagoon 440 catamaran somewhere between Stromboli and uh, Lippery, two of the Aeolian Islands off the north coast of Sicily. I find myself here with ten others, predominantly Irish, but also a girl from England and a guy called a guy from Greece as part of an annual sailing trip amongst friends. Big thanks, big thanks to Patrick B for skippering yet again. You're making it very, well, very, very, very difficult for us to like you here, Stephen. But uh, <laughs> on we go. Last night we anchored off the coast of Stram- Stromboli. Anchored is a sailing phrase, by the way. Of course, yeah. I think I'm uh, an active volcano island and the most northerly of the Aeolian Islands. Ballsy. Stromboli, which stands 926 meters above sea level and over 2,700 meters on average above the seafloor, experienced its most recent eruption in 2009. Uh, listen, I can go on Wikipedia just as easy as you, Stephen. So, you know, I don't think you're the great lad. Uh, after a bite to eat and an hour of wrestling with the failing motor attached to the anchor of our comfortable yet in- increasingly unseaworthy dual hull vessel, this guy, we set off for a nighttime hike of, hike of the volcano. Sensing light at the top of the volcano would be limited, I unpacked the hashtag PBezosan I'd scrolled on the back of a cereal box before taking the tender to the island, and to the amusement confusion of the others in our group, posed for a picture with the smoking crater around the 900 metre mark. You're smugly, it might as well have said, Stephen Kennedy. Well, Stephen, uh, thank you for your email, I should say. Uh, and if you went to Stromboli, you might also venture to Basoluzzo, where Antonioni shot Laventura, a searing critique of the boredom and vacuity of the <laughs> lives of the Italian upper wealthy classes. Something for you and skipper Patrick B uh, to mull over while you island hop. Oh, and here's something else for you to think about, uh, Stephen. Then maybe you shouldn't be living here! Thank you, Pierce. Thank you for that. Thank you for that epic takedown, Pierce, of uh, Stephen Kennedy. I Keep th- those emails coming in. I think my P. Bezo t-shirt, Murph, has been overtaken as the favourite item of clothing for, certainly for trips away, yeah. uh, by my Andy Lee t-shirt. You've seen it. It's been knocking around the office. We put up a, a picture a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, oh, listen, I, I, Andy, if you're listening, thanks a million for the t-shirts, but the medium is not one of those mediums that's, you know, there's a bit of room in. Oh, it's a boxer medium. Yeah, it's, it's really a small. very definitely, you know, it's it's... It's if you're a middleweight getting into that medium is all I'm saying. Yeah. You're doing very well. Well, I created one of the uh, one more uh, holiday story I'm going to bore you with Murph. I'm going to I literally have the slideshow to show you directly after this I know, on I'm an old school machine. Like no, you know, nothing here on the. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it or anything I like that. But a quick one here. Get the old Homer Simpson jury duty glasses on. Exactly. The I think I created one of the great disappointments in the life of a guy working at the hotel I was staying at in Washington yeah. D.C. I was sitting there having breakfast, facing. Away from him, I sort of facing the, the window, if you know what I mean? Yeah. He, this guy's walking. I heard the, these hurried steps behind me. And somebody tapped me on the shoulder, Mr. Lee. And I turned around and he said, oh. <laughs> he thought you were well, Andy, Andy Lee. Lee, right? He was a Mexican guy, world's greatest Andy Lee fan. I mean, this guy was insane. I, I, was, I was there going, yeah, you, you like Andy Lee. And I thought he might have a certain knowledge of, of yeah, yeah. an Irish boxer's career. And he's like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, he amazing against Peter Quinn and what a great comeback. You know, I was at the Chavez fight. Uh, all this wow. kind of stuff. He was literally he was blitzing me for Andy Lee knowledge. I'm like, damn it! I've met the guy a hundred times, and you're you're getting the better of me here. So obviously, the running joke for the next couple of mornings was, Mr. Lee, how are you? You know, and I was like, I'll try to send the man himself over at some point. I'm sure I'll try to get over here to to say hello to you. But uh, where are we going now? Oh yeah, tip. 
They're Munster champions for the first time since 2012. Not exactly a barren period for most counties, but it seemed to feel like that for Tip Owen Kelly's ready to talk about this one. The fans, I know you were there, Owen, at Temple Stadium. The fans looked absolutely jubilant. It looked almost like a county that was winning their first Munster. No, it was. That's the one thing that struck me after the game. You know, I was up in the press box and you could just see that there was a pitch was flooded like with the very supporters, which is great to see. Um, no, I think, look, there's high expectation of this tip team and you could see that with, with the supporters and how joyous they were afterwards. And I suppose they've deep down feel that it's it's one of two trophies that Tipperary are going to pick up this year, you know. But look, that Tipperary team needed silverware, you know, just for all the the big games they've contested in and just for their own confidence going forward they need a silverware and you know I think they deservedly uh, so picked it up yesterday Yeah and maybe uh, the management needed it as well given the fact that this is the first Munster title under, under Eamon O'Shea Definitely you know he's put in an, uh, an awful lot of work like you know the man drives up and down from Galway like, and as I said before you know there's a massive loyalty there between him and the players and the players would, would die for him, like, you know, and I think Davy is happy for him last night as, as they would be for themselves, you know, but look, he has to take a, a lot of credit, you know, like he came in, I suppose, in, in 13 after Tip having a very poor finish up to 2012 championship and it probably took, you know, 12 to 18 months to get that team physically and mentally back on the road after that uh, crushing defeat to Kilkenny in 2012 and, you know, he's done that, like, and Tip were a puck of a ball from winning the All-Ireland last year and definitely going in, in this year and you know he's you can see he's built a professional setup. you know you could even see that like the subs you know and even those five or six guys looking down would say part of his backroom team with, with laptops and whatnot you know what I mean iPads so you can just see that they're they're really after taking it to another level and every detail like he he's going to leave no stone unturned this year to make sure Tipperary are, are successful but no, it's, it look, it's early days yet, but uh, definitely we're in a great position going forward. Yeah, the, ce- the celebrations str- and the jubilation struck me, I think, because well, because Tip have won so many of them. And I know you, you guys were talking on Thursday uh, about the fact that the, the, the definitely Tip's need was at least as great as Waterford's, if not more, because uh, the, despite the traditional success, the last couple of years, uh, you've run into a difficult Limerick team over the last couple of seasons. What was it about this success? Was it just that you had to wait a little while that that it was the, a popular manager, that it's a group of players that maybe haven't achieved what they could have achieved over the last couple of years? It was, or was it a combination of all these things that led to the, the scenes? Well, you see, like, uh, I, I kind of said it yesterday, Tipper have been put up on the pedestal with Kilkenny because they've contested with Kilkenny in a couple of finals. But, like, the Tip team would have no silverware to show at any uh, level, we'll say, be it a league or a monster. So it's kind of, it's a bit, I suppose, embarrassing to want a bit of words, you know what I mean? When you're being put up there, Mention Kilkenny, you'd like to be winning your leagues and your monster titles, and maybe if you were losing by a point or two, then to Kenny Allen final, you know, you'd say, well, we've, we've built on something this year, but they weren't winning anything, so players want to win things, mm. you know. But nine of the Tipperary team yesterday, that was their first monster championship medal, like, so, you know, they, I'm sure they now know what it's like to win this morning, but they know what it's like to win, what it takes to win, and you're just, when you win things, you, your mentality changes, you know. But I, big plus for him, Shea, yesterday was, um, he just tweaked a few small things during the game and even tip panicked small bit before half time I thought. But then with the last maybe fifteen, ten minutes to go, you had bubbles who came out to centre forward. Um and he might have even then shifted himself to wing forward and he got one or two scores out there which just give Tipperary a small bit of breathing space, put him maybe the three points ahead and then once they went to four, they were not going to be there was no one going to catch him yesterday. So I think the management will be happy from just the little small moves that they made yesterday and um you know, because Waterford's system of play, like they have to take massive credit as well. Like, you know, it wasn't a classic once final by any accounts, but 
they they keep competitive and the way they play, they really keep competitive. And I think if Derek McGrath now, which I'm sure he will, because he's a smart man, if he just tweaks his team just a small bit, he will turn all those missed chances, those wides, into scores. And you think of it, he'll be feeling today if he, they should have maybe put another four or five points on the board, maybe even one, four or five. He'd fancy their chances of maybe having won that game. But I just always felt Tipperary had another gear in him yesterday, even if Waterford had to get those scores. Yeah, and I, I think if, if Waterford had, convert, had converted even one of the goal chances, that, that it could have been a different game. But I, it, it, just watching the Waterford game, having seen Clare in, Cork and Clare in act, the Cork and Clare game on Saturday, it kind of struck me that the role that Shane O'Donnell plays for Clare uh, is something that Waterford could very easily a- implement. That Say, watching it on television yesterday, the amount of times you're looking at a Waterford player in possession and you're like, just get the ball into the danger area and then they shoot from an, a ridiculous angle and it turns out there's no one within 30 yards of the goal. I mean, uh, you, you say it, it, it can be tweaked. It seems to be a very easy fix for Waterford and for Derek McGrath to actually just put someone in there and it doesn't have to be, you know, a Morris Shannon, a big guy on the edge of the square. It's actually a guy like Shane O'Donnell, a guy uh, who can just move defenders left and right but also be a target man along the ground as opposed to being a target man for 90-yard deliveries from uh, from Noel Connors or Austin Gleeson. Yeah, exactly. And they might have to maybe look at going with two inside, just so that guy you spoke about there can go left and right, but he gets support from maybe the second man in there. But I just found with Waterford, they run from deep and they're very fit and they're very athletic. They run from deep, so if they get maybe a ball 80 yards from their own goal, the man takes off. And he's done it yesterday a lot, Colin Dunford and even... Um, Jake Dillon at times and maybe even Kevin Moore so when they run they're running 20, 30, 40 yards so maybe 50 yards they're still in possession being harassed and harried by two if not three at this stage and trying to get the shot off so when they're getting their shot off after 40 or 45 yards in that intensity in the Munster final their tongue is just hanging out so they actually don't have the full your your wits are not about you we'll say so it's a weak effort and that's why a lot of the shots were going wide so what they needed once they went that far is they needed even one of the inside men or some of the wing forwards to kind of just maybe loop around the man that's making that run and get a pop pass off the shoulder so that the shooter has not as much energy wasted because then I think they'd get a more accurate shot in if you can understand what I'm saying. But yeah. like just a little small tweak like that because, you know, they they really put pressure on tip and they ran at tip all day. Like And you you can't... You can you have to compliment the effort at Water putting this. They really, really made a made tip work hard for their win. Like and um, you know, Derek like he'll take the positive out of it, but I'd say he'll still feel that there was a couple of chances there, maybe if they had to take those those scores that, you know, they could have been even closer at the final whistle. Claire gone, Owen at this stage haven't been beaten by Cork. I heard Davy Fitz afterwards saying that he was pleased this season with that the fact that they had their fight back he felt he, he accepted that there was a drop in intensity last year for whatever reason but this year he felt they very much had it back it doesn't really stack up when you look at the fact that they've lost another close game uh, another game that they put themselves in a position to win yeah you know I was just thinking to myself probably the happiest man when he seen Clare beaten yes they would be buying Cody because you know he'd probably rate that Clare team seeing him up close and personal in the two league matches there the last league match in the relegation final and he'd know they'd have a bit of pedigree so that's probably another maybe team that could threaten Kilkenny gone you know what I mean not to deal with this year but I thought Kilkenny were lively at the start of the game but I think the the system probably that they've used probably broke down on them in the second half when the guys were shooting outside 
you know, and they weren't having any look, we'll say, at getting the scores from your 50 and 60 and 70 yards, you know. The, Similar issue one, to Waterford, is, it, is that the same kind of thing you're describing? Yeah, I think so, but they were kind of shooting outside. Waterford were nearly running the ball from uh, 70, 60 yards, so they were running it in towards 40 yards, whereas Clare were actually shooting maybe or 70 or 80 yards outside, but they were they were going wide, you know, and they only, nearly, they only had one inside, Shane O'Donnell, so, you know, you need at least two if not three and seven, because that clear forward line is probably good enough to go the orthodox way, like you know. So it was. If you look at his system now, maybe going forward, because Davy, Davy's system and probably Derek McGrath's system work tremendous when you're on top, when you're maybe winning by the two or three points, then it really works great, like because momentum is rich. But when you're kind of chasing the game, I think the system doesn't work, and I, I've said that before about the system that the, the, these managers play. You know, but I was. Um, it, it's a disappointing year again for Clare. Like, there's no point in saying it's not. You know, and you know, there'll be a lot of soul searching done now um, over the next couple of months because I'm sure. Look, when you get knocked out of the championship and you have potential in your team, there's you know there's a lot of questions asked within the county. But I, I still can see Davy Fitz being manager of the Clare team next year, and you no, know, they'll um, he'll get him back to being very very competitive. And you know, like they just. They just need to tweak the system a small bit, and I think he'll, you know, he'll have a look at it, and he'll probably change things up going forward. It's interesting that you you make that point that it looks good when they're on top, uh, and it's also hugely exciting. I remember how exciting they were a couple of years ago, and particularly in that uh, the replay final against Cork. But when it's not going well for the likes of Clare and the likes of Waterford, it can start to look. I don't know if stodgy is the right word, but it, you, you tend to lose the entertainment value. And I don't know if you were overly impressed with any of the games this weekend uh, as spectacles. Is it fair to say that the that the championship has been missing something so far this year? It has. You know, look, it, it's it's kind of defensive, and that's it. And you know, I was only talking to someone yesterday at the game, and um, I think he, he's happy after the weekend that sixteen to one it was some betting somewhere for no goals to be scored. In four matches over the week, there was three uh, senior matches and one intermediate monster uh, final on last Wednesday night. And out of the four games, there was no goals in three of the games because of this defensive system that teams are playing. Deploying back, we'll say, the, the sweeper and that. And in the Limerick and Dublin game, there was only a goal each. So the goal chances, goal chances are at a minimum, like, you know, but it's, um, it's look, hurling evolves. This is a new thing that's out there. Um, I was happy with the way Tip dealt with Walford in the last 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, I know like even winning a free maybe 60 yards out from your goal is is a crucial tool now with this system of play because it's a free shot. You know, so it's it's just all about... Um, I thought Tip were very cool and composed at that stage of the game where they thought Clare and even Walford. And panicking are probably the... It was a kind of desperation trying to get a score and, and taking the, you know, for, for Clare, was shooting outside for Waterford, he was running it too far to one man, and then he, the execution was poor. So, you know, like, I think these things can be changed, and if they're changed, you'd hope there'll be more scores, but just to, it's, it's disappointing in championship matches that goals, opportunities are at a, a minimum, because not only do they lift the team, but they lift the stadium as well when a goal goes in, you know, so it's, uh, look, you'd like to see a couple of more goals in the championship now going forward yeah you, you tend to forget about it I guess if there's a if there's a brilliant semi-final or a, a brilliant final it's, it almost takes over from the, the memory of the rest of the season but we'll see what happens in the next few weeks oh and brilliant stuff as always thank you okay guys that's the question that's going to be answered tonight tonight so now come here tonight tonight into Wexford Park and they just must produce the goods tonight tonight their team is better set up tonight tonight but they just the bottom line is Michael they have to do tonight tonight 
No, I think Hawk have made a massive boo-boo with our matchups. Massive boo-boo. Tonight, 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 tonight. Ref, I'm going to take a theory that you put to me off air. Okay. Steal it and then now put it to you on air. I believe, I firmly have a firm conviction <laughs> that something that's going on here at the Hurling Championship this year is that pundits in general, you watch, uh, you know, particularly on TV. Uh, by the way, I should say most of the TV pundits are absolutely excellent, and you've got the likes of Henry Sheff and others to that this year, and they're mm. really, really entertaining. But there's a general reluctance to be too critical of the Hurling Championship, which is certainly not something that you see in, in the football coverage, but we'll leave that aside for the time being. There, there's a it's almost, well, we can't really say this championship mm. is, is too bad, even if it is. Yeah, I, to be honest, I actually don't think that it's like a, like an editorial decision. Oh, no, I don't decision. think it's, no, no. Even amongst, even, like, even individually, I don't think it's it's happening. It's a, it's a thing that they're, they're that Gerlach Nan, for instance, is thinking through in his head. It's like, I, I've, I've come here to Thurlis, I'm really upbeat they love the, the game so much yeah, yeah I, like, I'm upbeat about the chances of this of these two games say the two games on Saturday evening being really like top class I'm really really pumped about these two games and I'll be shocked if they're bad so if you start that way it takes like probably about 45 minutes of a game to decide actually you know what this isn't that good <laughs> In which, by which time you've done the pre-match and you've done your halftime analysis so there's kind of a limited enough window for you then to say Oh yeah, well the game's actually been terrible. Whereas if you start saying, "Well, this one's going to be a war," uh, I don't see a whole lot of scores in this one. Uh, you know, defenses are going to be yeah. on top. You know, it's the halftime. Your your halftime analysis. If if you're any sort of analyst of an analyst, you're going to want your halftime analysis to sound a little bit like <laughs> what you said at the start. Eh, not every pun that has to go with that particular. No, uh, no. Well, ethos. I mean, yeah. Well, but at the same time. You know, if if there's a marginal call to be made there, you're probably going to be side on, you know, the side of the argument you were yeah. taking 35 minutes before that. So, I mean, it, like, I don't think it's... I, I, I Like, I don't think it's terrible. I, I Like, I, ju- I, I, I don't think it's, it's a bad way to be, necessarily, for coverage of the sport, to start off from the starting point of, this is going to be brilliant, and then to be slightly disappointed when it's not brilliant. Mm. But at the same time... If you're an inter-county Gaelic footballer watching this, I would say it is getting a little annoying <laughs> when you just see... How bad does a game have to be? Uh, yeah, to be? I'm, I'm, I'm just completely in shock that this game would be bad uh, as opposed to... The last game, which wasn't great either. Well, yes, the sport is dying, which is what they're saying well, as far as the football is concerned. he's travelled a long, long way to spend time in a city he clearly despises. It's almost over. From The pain is almost over. Let's get one more hit from our Las Vegas correspondent. Oh, there's blackjack and poker and Thanks a lot, Pepe. Yes, and their new world veteran of the championship, Conway McGregor. All right, let's get back over to the MGM Grand for one. You're laughing, Ken. You you, you were laughing at that love, clip in the football podcast that. too. I mean, who would think of putting those words in that order? <laughs> Brilliant. We, I've never heard it before. It's amazing. I love it. We have got a football podcast already out there. We were talking about the uh, what were we talking about? Just transfers. Raheem Sterling, Basti Schweinsteiger. It's a midsummer, mid July. Premier League transfer madness episode of the <laughs> Irish Times Second Campus football podcast. But Ken, I wanted to ask you, you've been over there a few days now. You've 
You saw the, the weigh-in, the everything in and around the fight and the fight itself. This is the first time we've spoken to you today since the fight itself. Uh, do you feel you've gotten any closer to pinpointing the exact appeal of, uh, of Conor McGregor, the source of his popularity, uh, or is it simply just how, how good a sportsman he he's, is proving himself to be? I think there's a few. I think there's a few strands to it. Um, number one, he's successful. You can't you can't downplay that. Irish people do love a guy who wins uh, while draping a tricolor around his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's he's got a very positive style. You know, as I was talk, as we were talking about earlier on, you know, this willingness to to attack, uh, to kind of take the initiative, to take risks and fights is, is something that everybody always wants to see. Um, he looks good. I think that's an awful template. I mean, when I look around at all those uh, tank tops and all, all those uh, steroid-inflated uh, physiques, uh, looking good is an ever is an ever higher ever higher on the priority list of the Irish male. Mm. And Con- Conor McGregor is is showing the way. Yeah, his generation's ideal man is how you phrase it in your piece here today. They're attracted to the way he looks in the physical sense, at least. McGregor is this generation's. Uh, oh, un- undoubtedly, I think that's a, I think it's a huge part of it, actually. Really. Um, yeah. Um, what else? How do you measure that? You're, you're just you, you, that's largely based on the number of ponytails and the number of beards that you saw. The lookalikes. Hmm? There's, there's so many lookalikes. You know, McGregor, like the, the guys who literally have you know the same haircut, the same beard, same muscles, or not the same muscles. Obviously, their 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 attempt at getting the same muscles, uh, the tattoos. Um, you know, there's a, there's a kind of a hero worship going on there. I mean, you, you want to see the open workout, just the the faces, the wrapped faces, everybody everybody taking pictures, everybody staring. It's like, you know, there's just the, the, the total attention of everyone in the room. And what are they looking at? They're looking at McGregor's physique. It's, it's amazing, you know. And he knows it. He's totally showing it off. He's kind of going around so everyone can get a good look. You know what I mean? He's, it's a, that's 100% a big, a big part of what's going on, in my opinion. Uh, so what else? Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose this is this is the kind of the fact that he, he he talks a lot. I mean, that's that is definitely what gets your attention. I don't think it's necessarily what makes people like him. I, I think it's actually what makes a lot of people dislike him. But it is a quality that gets uh, gets people's attention. I mean, you know, you can see, and there's also the fact that there's, there's, there is a big hype machine behind him as well, too. I mean, look at some of the. I mean, you, 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 I think anyone who runs a website in Ireland, a website of any kind knows that putting Conor McGregor on the, um, you know, in the link or in the title of whatever article is going to put that article on your best, on your most read list on your website. Yeah. Um, so I think you can see quite a lot of, <laughs> you can see quite a lot of the coverage is is, uh, is is kind of clickbait, you know, in my in my opinion. I mean, he, he drives a lot of clicks. I mean, it's mainly young people. It's more young people rather who are, who, are, who are online more so than the other people. It's mainly, it's, you know, Conor McGregor is the biggest hero of that generation so you know i don't think you're i don't think you're necessarily getting yet anyway a terribly rounded picture of this guy you're getting kind of a fairly um a very positive portrayal i think of him in the media which probably is a bit helpful as well i mean there's a bit of negativity too i suppose but generally speaking most of the coverage is well, have you seen the amazing thing that conor mcgregor has just done click here you know what i mean all right, Kevin, I'd say you've got just about enough time in Vegas to have one more spin on the roller coaster in New York, New York. Just, I think, I believe, across the strip from me in the MGM Grand. So enjoy that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know what, I'm going to take a pass on the roller coaster. What I'm going to do, I think, you know what I might do? It's still sunny here. It's still probably over 90 degrees. It might be time for me to get stripped off and head down to Wet Republic. 
and uh, listen to some listen to some EDM. Maybe have myself uh, uh, a margarita, mm-hmm. and, uh, and 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 lying. They've got like this little lazy river or whatever they call it, like a kind of a circular current pool, uh, which uh, you can just lie in and float down the river and watch the world go by. While you know you listen to Hardwell and Calvin Harris and all these kind of guys that they. Uh, that they love over here. I mean, does that sound like fun to you? Absolutely. It doesn't really sound like fun to me, but there aren't too many other options that I have, so I think that's what the option I'm going to take. It sounds like something that might pass uh, at least half an hour an hour. Listen, Ken, great stuff over there. Thanks so much and safe home. Thanks, man, and thank you too, Kieran. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you, Kieran, and thanks very much for listening. You can check out irishtimes.com forward slash secondcaptains for any of the rest of our podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at secondcaptains, facebook.com forward slash secondcaptains. Again, the football podcast is out now, the latest one, so have a listen to that if you do have the time today or over the next day or so. In the meantime, take care. Thanks a lot. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hey guys, welcome to Giggly Squad, a place where we make fun of everything, but most importantly, ourselves. I'm Paige DeSorbo. I'm Hannah Burner. Welcome to the squad. Giggly Squad started on Summer House when we were giggling during an inappropriate time. But of course, we can't be managed. So we decided to start this podcast to continue giggling. We will make fun of pop culture news. We're watching fashion trends, pep talks where we give advice, mental health moments, and games and guests. Listen to Giggly Squad on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.